Father God, I stand before you on behalf of, of Pastor Todd and Lisa and Laney and Gracie and, and especially Carter. God, uh, in a season of darkness and in, in an atmosphere of darkness in their life, it is true that Jesus, darkness trembles at your name. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring light. I pray that you would bring hope. I pray that you would bring grace. I pray that you would bring strength and wisdom. God, and I, just, I, I genuinely just pray for healing for Carter. And I pray for Pastor Todd and his heart. And God, we look forward to the, the time soon when he'll be able to return and to continue to, to be a part of, of shepherding your people. We thank you for Pastor Todd and his family and who they've been to the chapel. In your name, amen. Yeah, well, thank you all so much for being here. If you haven't met me before, my name is Joe, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors here. And I'm from our, I, I live, I can actually see the Port Clinton campus, uh, I'm sorry, the Norwalk campus um, from our house, but, but we are here this morning, and I'm so glad to be here with you. Before we get into Acts 22, that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have your Bible, if you want to use the Version app, that's where we're going to be. I just want you to, want to let you know about a few things that are coming up. So the first thing, um, and this is huge, the Global Leadership Conference is coming up next week at Star. So October 1st through the 4th. Uh, I'm really excited about this because I have worked, um, you know, uh, side by side with our missionaries from Mexico with Roger and, and Carolyn Tomlinson, and I'm excited that they're going to be here. There's a ton of events coming up, and I think that there is something for, there's something for everyone. And this is one in your worship program that you were handed on your way in this morning. And if you want some extra copies, this image with these um, events are over at our, at our Welcome Center as well, too. But we're going to highlight two of those today, a men's gathering and a women's gathering. And here's some words from Pastor Jay, who is really um, the force behind all of this. He, this was his idea, and we are so glad to have some, a pastor who is... Um, thinking about reaching out to others. He is very community-minded, whether that community is right next door or across the globe. So he says, men, don't settle for news just from TV or from social media. Get it firsthand. Saturday morning, bring yourself, bring your son, bring your grandson, bring your friend, and come hear some men who have traveled here from around the world. Hear what God is doing in people's lives through the chapel's partnership with them. One of the guys we're gonna hear from is from Burundi in Africa, and he has never been to America before. Hear him talk about what it's like to live in the poorest country in the world and live through a genocide and still have joy and hope. There's going to be coffee and donuts, and uh, I don't know where the, where the donut's going to be from. Are these good donuts? Okay, good. I'm, I'll be there. All right. There's going to be, I'm a donut snob. All right. Uh, coffee and the time for questions and answers and discussion as well, too. So that's going to be uh, Saturday, October 1st from 7 to 8 um, at both our Sandusky and our Port Clinton campuses as well, too. So, and then the second one is a women's accessory boutique, uh, Ukraine fundraiser, um, and that's going to be at our Sandusky campus. It says, women, this is going to be amazing. You're going to have a chance to literally change and save lives. The first ever women's boutique featuring well-known area merchants will raise funds to send IDPs, which is internally displaced peoples within Ukraine. These are refugees within their own country, and we're partnered with incredibly well-placed ministry to strategically and intentionally come along and aid these Ukrainian refugees. Um, this evening's gonna have Manuela cookies and gourmet brownies and a panel of women who are from around the world. You get to hear from them what it's like to be a woman in their part of the world 
and what God's doing in people's lives in their countries, and how the chapel, we, you, get to play a part in uh, our partnership with them. Because, you know, God has called us to be Christians, uh, called us as Christians to be a local church, but also to be a global church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the message today, and uh, to, to, to help people to see that light of Jesus in, the, in this dark world. So again, all of that and so much more is happening. It's all in your worship program. Um, so today, though, we are going to talk about... Oh, Les, I'm so sorry. I forgot about this one. Uh, this is huge. Uh, Pastor Dave, I don't know if you know Pastor Dave, um, but... I love Pastor Dave. He, he did uh, that cute girl that was singing up here. Uh, that's my wife. He did our wedding, so he has a special place in our family. Um, but he has been fundamental uh, at the chapel. And he retired a couple of years ago. You may have seen him and his wife at Chick-fil-A. They work part-time there. And he is going to come back in a part-time capacity at the church uh, too. So we are so excited to have him back. Um, he's going to be helping with counseling, with pastoral counseling, um, with those types of needs too. So if you see Pastor Dave at one of our campuses, please welcome him back. We are so happy to have him um, back on staff in a part-time capacity. You see, I, this church is too good. He couldn't be gone that long. There was just no way he's going to stick to retirement. So anyway, let's get on with the book of Acts. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had FOMO, right? Um, have you ever experienced FOMO? Do you even know what FOMO is? Uh, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're like, wait, is that a new restaurant? It's not a new restaurant. Uh, FOMO, I don't know if you know this, is fear of missing out, all right? Maybe you've experienced this. You see one of your friends on social media, and they post about a trip they went on, or they had a party, they all went out to dinner, and you're like looking, you're like, hey, every single person in our friend group is there, but I didn't even know about this, right? And it makes you feel like an outsider. Or maybe a bunch of your coworkers are all carpooling to go to Chick-fil-A, and you hear about them talking, you hear them talking about it on the way past your office, and they don't invite you, so you just sit in your office and eat your salad and cry. Anybody else or just me? Okay, listen, for the record, I am always 100% down to go to Chick-fil-A, all right? If you ever want to go, you don't have anybody to go with, let me know. Um, but the point is this, is like we all want to feel like we're included, right? No one wants to be an outsider or feel like an outsider. Now, for me, I'm introverted. I probably won't go to your function, but I at least want you to invite me, okay? I want to know that I'm included. And here's the unfortunate reality, is that the church is often a place and a group where people can feel very uninvited or left out. And there's a number of reasons why this happens, but one of the reasons that we're going to address today is that we sometimes feel like we are owed salvation, that we deserved it, because some type of goodness or value in us that makes us feel superior to other people. And therefore, we don't extend to them the same grace that Jesus extended to us. So how about you? You know, have you ever been to a church, maybe this church, maybe another church, where you felt like it was a place that you didn't belong? I hope it wasn't here. Maybe you feel, you know, maybe you feel that way today, right? Maybe you are here reluctantly because you, you've been disillusioned, you're disillusioned by the church. You know, you are hurt by someone who claimed to be a Christian. You, you were made to feel judged by Christians, you know, because you don't vote the way that Christians should vote, right? Um, you don't agree with Christianity on certain social issues, so you hide that because you don't want other Christians to look down on you. Or maybe you're on the other side, 
right? Maybe you feel like, hey, as a Christian, there's morals, right? We got to have certain standards. Hey, if we don't have standards, then just anybody will come to our church. (laughs) I'm not saying we don't have standards for leadership, but people should feel welcome here as they are. Maybe you start to feel like, yes, I know we're saved by grace, but after that, it's time to start following the rules. You know, you want grace for yourself, but justice for others. So you see, you're like, oh, wait, 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 I know like grace and all that, but we're in a culture war and we gotta stick together. We gotta protect ourselves from the world and defend our Christian values. And you say, yes, you're saved by grace, but in your opinion, there are some people who are just, they're just too far outside. They're just, they're just out of reach, right? Well, today in our series on Acts, we're gonna hear from the Apostle Paul in Acts 22, and he's gonna blow all of that away. Paul, a man who was extremely undeserving of God's grace, a man who understood God's grace and would not let other people become a barrier to Jesus. Paul was a man who would tear down walls that kept people from Jesus. Cultural walls, religious walls, even language walls. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts 22 or read on the version app if you have it. We'll also have the text for, for you on the screens this morning. He starts off with this. He says, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Okay, so Paul's in prison again. It sounds like, like I feel like he's like Forrest Gump. Like he's, I went to the White House again. Paul's like, I was in prison again. Like we'll see through the Acts in the New Testament. Like Paul has a real problem staying out of jail. So James and the elders um, of the church in Jerusalem, when Paul arrived, they greeted him warmly, and they also informed him about some Jewish believers who thought that Paul was teaching other Jews to reject their Jewish heritage. So hoping to demonstrate that, hey, this isn't true, and at the advice of the elders, Paul joins these four guys in their purification rituals. And this requires a visit to the temple. But some non-believing Jews from Asia recognize Paul in the temple and start stirring at the crowd, shouting, hey, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everywhere, everyone everywhere against our people and against the law and against this very place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. This is in Acts 21. And so none of this was true, but nonetheless, because the people were, were rioted and tried to kill Paul, Paul was quickly arrested by the Romans and sent and put in jail. Okay, so, and this, this occurs like right around AD 57. So this is only a, you know, a couple decades after the resurrection. This isn't like way in the future. This, this is, happens pretty close to when Jesus was literally here. So Paul, who's incredibly educated and he's smart, he's giving a defense, all right? And he's willing to talk to his, to his audience in a language that was accessible to them. It says that he was speaking their own language. He didn't use terms or jargon that, that you know, made it sound as though he was above them. Paul was showing, I'm sorry, it says, uh, you know, for us, being like Paul, when we talk about how Jesus changed our lives, right, you give your testimony, you share about who Jesus is and how he's changed your life, we need to meet people where they are and speak to them in ways that they understand. You know, if you start throwing out words or phrases like, sanctification, predestination, um, repentance, dispensationalism, washed by the blood of the lamb, those types of things. People might not have any clue what you're talking about, right? And what I appreciate about Paul is he didn't dumb down the gospel. He explained it in a way that his listeners could connect with. He goes on, verse three. 
It says, then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He goes on, as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything. I did just like all of you today. So Paul starts building a case for why he has the right and the authority to speak to this group because he says, hey, I'm one of you, right? I grew up just like you. And, and you know, he, he's building some relational credibility. Now, maybe you can do this, or maybe I can do this. Maybe there's a group of people that you could speak to that I wouldn't have the authority to speak to, right? Maybe you're a part of a motorcycle club, right? I don't ride a motorcycle. I just look like I should. <laughs> maybe you're part of a country club. I'm definitely not fitting in there. <laughs> you know, maybe you're on a board of directors. Maybe you spent some time in jail, Maybe you work at a tattoo parlor. Maybe, you're, maybe your friends or your neighbor is like a celebrity, you know, somebody even they're locally famous. Maybe your neighbor's an elected official. Uh, maybe you have a certain past that gives you credibility with certain people. Because here's what I want you to realize. We all have circles of influence that not everyone has access to. We can speak. I mean, there are people out there that you get to speak to that I probably wouldn't get to speak to unless they came to the church, which you're like, that's not happening. So you have an opportunity that I don't have. And Paul was showing these people that he had common ground with them. He was one of them, which made them more willing to listen. But then he goes on. He says, and I persecuted the followers of the way hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I, just, I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punish, punished. All right, wait a minute. Paul was basically building up his credibility of why he can talk to him, and, and, he's like laying, and he was like building his resume, and now he starts laying out his criminal past. It's almost as, as if Paul's using this to set up something else. Perhaps he's starting to show people that he was unworthy of God's grace. Because, I mean, Paul, he was committing authorized murder in the name of religion. If anyone would have been on God's bad side, it would have been Paul. And yet, as we find out, he was saved. Now, I think it's easy right here to start to divide ourselves between being decent people and people who are really messed up, you know? People who Jesus should save because we're not too far gone, and people who are outside of God's grace. I was talking with this guy uh, one time a few years ago. Um, about Ray Lewis. I don't know if you know who Ray Lewis is. Ray Lewis was one of my favorite football players. He, was, um, he played for the Ravens. Now, to be clear, I am not a Ravens fan, all right? I'm a Ray Lewis fan. Um, and they were playing the Super Bowl that year, and I was talking, and, and here's the thing. Ray Lewis had professed belief in Jesus, and he had an inspiring testimony. Um, so I said to this guy, I said, hey, you know, as we were talking about the Super Bowl, and I said, you know, I'd like Ray Lewis to win since he was a Christian. And the guy I was talking to, who also knew the Bible, said, yeah, but he was also a convicted murderer, right? Implying that, well, he can't really be a Christian if he's a convicted murderer. And I was like, oh, yeah, he was. Just like Moses and David and Paul. And he didn't say anything after that, right? You see, here's the danger. We start to put ourselves on God's throne and start to dictate who is and who isn't worthy of forgiveness, of grace, of salvation. 
So Paul in this discourse blows that out of the water. He's laying out all of the reasons God should have rejected him, should have punished him. And you might say, all right, Pastor Joe, come on now. Like, I've done some bad stuff. You know, I made some mistakes, but I've never murdered anyone, so I at least have that going for me. The problem is, is that Scripture would completely disagree with that. One of Jesus' closest disciples, John, lays it out clearly in 1 John 3.15. He says this, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You see, physically murdering another person is just taking the hatred in your heart out to its fullest extent. Because we're all guilty of hating what God would define as murder in the heart, whether or not we have committed to its fullest physical extent. So when we start drawing dividing lines about who's in and who's out, the reality is that we would never have the righteousness within ourselves to land on the who's inside. And so Paul begins to address this as he goes on. He says, As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light, and I had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul starts to talk about his salvation story, his conversion story. And he highlights how he stopped dead in his tracks, right? You see, Paul doesn't decide that he should change. No, Jesus changes him. Paul doesn't stop the crimes he's committing and then decide to follow Jesus. He doesn't get his life together and then decide to follow Jesus. Jesus starts with Paul right where he is. And the presence of Jesus is overwhelming. And then Jesus addresses Paul by name because this was personal. And if you and I were there, we probably thought, would have thought that finally God is enacting his judgment upon this killer of his own people. We would have thought this is victory. God is finally stopping this murder, punishing, getting, getting revenge, getting vengeance, enforcing justice, and yet God is giving him grace. There was no justice to enforce because it had already been enforced on Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had the right and the authority to extend grace to Paul. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Because the reality is we always seem to want justice for others and grace for ourselves. The reality is we don't want Jesus to be fair. Because if Jesus was fair, guess what? We're all in trouble. Jesus isn't fair. Jesus is gracious. 
And so because Paul experiences such an overwhelming sense of grace and forgiveness, it influences his ministry. He understands just how bad he is, how ill-deserving of God's grace he is. He knows because he wasn't outside of God's grace, he would refuse to see others that way. This comes to a boil in the rest of Acts 17 through 19. It says, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, he argues, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. And they yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. So Paul's back in Jerusalem with his people, the Jews. But as we see in Acts 21, he's in trouble because he's preaching about this Jesus, the one whom the Jews and Romans had crucified. He's saying that he was the Messiah. So he's already on thin ice, but then he word, utters the word that blows everything up, right? Gentiles. Because Gentiles were the others. They were on the outside. They weren't, they weren't God's chosen people according to the Jews, so they didn't deserve God's favor. And yet here Paul is completely aware of his unworthiness before God, being willing to reach out to the others. Why? Because in God's eyes, Paul was one of those others. Paul knew that the gospel wasn't exclusive to a certain group of people. It wasn't for a select group of chosen people, but it was for everyone. And Paul knew that he didn't earn his salvation, so the gospel wasn't him to keep from other people. And this creates such a stir that Paul gets arrested again, all because he was willing to reach out to the others. So my question, the big question, is what about you? What about me? Are there some others in our lives? People who are just too far gone, right? They're just outside of God's grace. Because even though you've made some mistakes, and you would agree to that, and you'd admit that you were a sinner, at least that you were, maybe now you think you've got it together, right? We think we've got it together. Hey, we go to church, right? We read the Bible, we're conservative, we're moral, you don't smoke, you drive the speed limit, you homeschool your kids, you're part of a small group, you've gone on mission trips, you support the right social issues, you stand up for the truth, and now these are all good things, but do they make you feel superior? Do they make you feel like you're on the inside and people who don't believe like you or live like you are on the outside? Do they make you feel that you are worthy of God's favor? That this is why Jesus saved you, right? Because he knew that you'd turn out to be a decent person. Well, Paul would tell you that you were wrong. No matter what you do after you start following Jesus, you'll probably never do as much for the kingdom of God as Paul did. I mean, he was the greatest missionary of Christianity. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He gave his life for the advancement of the gospel. And yet, even with all of those things, Paul was very aware of his undeservingness of God's grace. Paul wrote, the, wrote a letter to Timothy, a man who was mentoring. And in that letter, he writes this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Sometimes I think I disagree with Paul on that, and sometimes I feel like I am. But my point 
my first point that I want you to remember is this, is that the gospel isn't yours. What I mean is you didn't do anything to earn the loving, forgiving grace of Jesus. He did everything. And in fact, if anything, you and I, we are ill-deserving of God's grace. And yet he chose to give it to you. He chose to give it to me because of who he is, not who we are. My second point is this, that the gospel isn't yours to keep. For Paul's listeners, it was the word Gentiles. Forgetting their original mission set by God to be a light to the nations, the Jewish nation had become separatists. They had become exclusive. Unfortunately, not, like, not unlike a lot of Christians in churches today. Our mission is to take the gospel of Jesus everywhere, to people everywhere, to everyone. Both, you know, even those most unlike us, and I would say especially those most unlike us. And so what is it for you? Was it, what is it for us? Do we have or do you have an us versus them mentality, right? Maybe you've set some boundaries in your life that exclude some people from Jesus, right? Cultural, racial, political, social, maybe it's geographical, right? Because we're going to be talking about that at the Global Missions Conference. I get this question. I've led nine missions to Mexico, right? And I've had people ask me before, they're like, why would you go to Mexico when we have people who are in need right around us, right? And I would say, well, first of all, we are working to meet the needs of people right around us. And the other thing is that geographical location and ethnicity do not dictate the value of another person's life in the sight of God. Who is it that you just can't bring yourself to associate with? You know, are you really willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads you and to whoever he leads you? I want you to dream with me just for a second, all right? And this is going to get scary. What would it look like if the church was a group of people who knew no boundaries when, we, when it came to who we accept through our doors? Last week, I was in Sandusky at our Sandusky campus, and uh, I get a message um, from our uh, first impressions lead, and she's like, hey, are you here? There's a guy that wants to talk to a pastor. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I go down there, and I sit down with this guy, and his name's Tom. And Tom starts unpacking why he's there. You know, he was just in a tight spot, needed a little bit of financial assistance. And, you know, thanks to your uh, generosity, we were able to help him out. But Tom starts talking about how he grew up in the streets and he had spent most of his life in prison. He would have been in prison probably five or six times. And I think here's a guy that we would say, yes, Tom, you are welcome here. But you can't work with the kids. Serve coffee, right? And Tom, you can come here, but you can't come to our small group, right? Because I just don't, you know, for whatever reason, I just don't know if you would fit in. I'll tell you what, even though Tom had had a very dark past, I was envious of his relationship with Jesus. I felt like he was there to minister to me. And yet he's the type of guy we would say, eh, I don't know, man, he's just done some stuff, Right? What would it look like for others to walk through the doors of our church, the doors of our homes, and never feel like an outsider? What if no one thought about Jesus and had FOMO because we refused to let political, social, cultural, racial, or moral boundaries stop the gospel? Would our church be different? Absolutely, right? It'd be different. Would our church be messier? Oh, yeah, it sure would. Would, would our church be genuine? I think so. Would, um, would our church be better? 
Yes. Would our church represent Jesus? Absolutely. Remember, the gospel isn't yours, and it isn't yours to keep. And so let that influence how you share Jesus and who you share Jesus with. Father, there is no one in this room, including myself, who is in any way deserving of the gospel, but because, Jesus, because of your incredible love and goodness and grace and sacrifice, Jesus, you looked at me and you looked at everyone in this room. And even though we had all turned our back on you, God, and if you were going to be fair, you would have condemned all of us to eternity separated from you, but you didn't. You chose to love us and you came and you gave your life on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And God, let us never think that there is a person that we meet, that we cross, path, cross, cross paths with who we think is undeserving of that same grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not fair, that you are gracious. Help us as we go forward this week to remember that the gospel isn't ours. We didn't earn it. And it's not ours to keep to ourselves. Jesus, in your incredible holy name, amen. Have a good Sunday.